0: Could you open your Bibles to Matthew chapter 7? Matthew chapter 7. We're going to look at verses 1 to 6 this morning. <clears throat> this is one of the best-known scriptures. At least verse 1 is one of the best-known scriptures in the New Testament. One of the best-known scriptures in the English-speaking world. And, and, and honestly, I, I, would, I would guess one of the most loved By the sinful society that we live in. Matthew chapter seven and verse one says, judge not that you be not judged. And the world loves that verse. The world does not want to be judged. They don't want to be told that the things that they love to do are sin. They want to continue in their sin. That's just the, the natural state of of unredeemed man. They want to continue in their sin and they want to justify their sin to themselves so that they keep can keep finding joy in those sinful things and those sinful practices that they engage in. And verse 1 gives them exactly what they need, at least in their mind, to give them cover for their sin and for that position. Don't judge me, they say, lest you be judged. Don't judge my sinful practices lest you be judged. In the relativistic society that we live in, the only acceptable absolute truth is the truth that there is no absolute truth. And the only moral truth that seems acceptable is that one shouldn't make moral judgments. The world asks, who are you to judge me? And they will even go so far as to say with Pharaoh, Who is the Lord that I should obey his voice? That's from Exodus chapter 5 and verse 2. And so Matthew 7.1 is is used as a shield to protect one from one's sins and from one's idols. Do not judge me. Judge not. But that's not the intent of this verse. And and just on a side note, the, the sinful heart is like the devil in this way. It will take up scripture to serve its sinful purposes if it can. And that's kind of a a warning to all of us. How sinful is it to use God's word to resist God and cling to sin? And so if the intent of this verse is not to protect one's sins, well, what is it? Why, why does Jesus say, judge not? Why is this verse here, and 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 why is it here at this particular place in the Sermon on the Mount? Well, let's read the whole section for this morning, Matthew 7, starting at verse 1, it says, Judge not that you be not judged, for with the judgment you pronounce, you will be judged, and with the measure you use, it will be measured to you. and turn to attack you. This section on the on the Sermon on the Mount really more than any other section needs to be understood in its context. Many commentators though think that chapter 7 verses 1 to 12 are are just filled with miscellaneous sayings that before the concluding section in verse 17 to 21 of chapter 7. So a lot of commentators just kind of look at this and say, here's some miscellaneous sayings kind of tacked on to the end of this sermon. But everything else in this sermon has has kind of flowed together, and it's flowed together so well that we do well to look for a connection before we can say that, that there's no connection to be made. Immediately after these verses, in verses uh, 7 to 11 we see this call to prayer. So ask and it will be given to you. Seek and you will find, knock and it will be opened. And so there's this section on prayer. Ask, seek and knock. And the Father will give good things. He will give good gifts to his children. And then the concluding verse in verse 12, the, the conclusion really to the, the main body of the sermon says, so whatever you wish that others would do to you, do also to them, for this is the law and the prophets. Now that's the last verse before the concluding section, starting in verse 13. And when we see that law and the prophets, it might remind us of the beginning verse of the body of this sermon in Matthew 5 and verse 17. So let's go and look at Matthew Matthew five seventeen. Jesus says there, do not think that I have come to abolish the law or the prophets, I have not come to abolish them, but to fulfill them. The sermon is focused on who we are and what we do as kingdom citizens, as citizens of the kingdom. And it is focused on true righteousness, which is what the law and the prophets also taught. You see that connection there, the the beginning of the body of the sermon and the end of the body of the sermon both have these statements about the law and the prophets. And And the focus all through this sermon is the righteousness of a true kingdom citizen. We've been called by the Lord to live a fully devoted life to God. We've been called to pattern our lives after God's character to be even perfect as our Heavenly Father is perfect. We've been called to practice our righteousness with a, an aim to please God. And, and, and our God is the one who sees in secret. And we're to, to live before Him, knowing that He is always there, or He is always seeing, and our aim is to, to please Him and glorify Him and, and let His name be hallowed. We're to lay up treasures in heaven and seek first His kingdom and His righteousness. And throughout the sermon, there's been this contrast between the scribes and the Pharisees and the true disciple. We've been told not to be like the hypocrites. We're not to be like the hypocrites in, in the, their dealing with others. We're not to look down on others. Hypocrites exalted themselves and and they judged others. And as we pursue the righteousness of the kingdom and the righteousness that the the Lord calls us to, we can be tempted to become like the hypocrites and look down on others. And so we can easily fall into this hypocritical attitude of thinking that we are better than others. And so that might be part of the connection that's happening here, but I think the connection goes even beyond that. These verses are, are part of helping us seek the, the kingdom and his righteousness. Part of laying up treasures in heaven, as we've even already said in this sermon, part of laying up treasures in heaven is to help others pursue that same righteousness that we are called to pursue. Remember, as we kind of studied the, what it means uh, as far as rewards go, we said something like, whatever we do or suffer for Jesus' sake will be rewarded. We saw that we are to serve others for Jesus' sake. And how do we serve them? Remember, it's by using our gifts and abilities, talents and resources to bring people to Christ in salvation and then to help them grow to be more like Christ as they mature in their faith. In order to be effective in this ministry, we need to be humble and, and gentle. We need to get the log out of our own eye First. We're not to be the judge. We're to be like the, the, um, we're to be like a surgeon. But to help one another, we must first perform surgery on ourselves. And so to try to summarize the connection that we have here, what, why is this verse here? We've been called to perfection. And as we pursue that, we, as we pursue that perfection, that call, we are to, we're to help one another be like Christ and we're not to judge one another and criticize one another. We're to be the help to one another. And then what we're going to see next week is we're going to see in chapter seven, verses seven to 11, we're going to see that also God is helping us as we ask him to help us as we pursue this righteousness that he's called us to. And so there's kind of, two parts of help that we see in this section. First, we help one another, and Jesus tells us, how can we help one another by not being judgmental, but by, by helping the other person get that speck out of their eye? And then secondly, we, we have help in this pursuit of holiness, this pursuit of perfection, this pursuit of righteousness. We have help in it as we ask and seek and knock, and God will surely give us and answer our prayers in that regard. God helps us and, and we help one another. But the only way that we can help one another is by abandoning an unhelpful, critical attitude. And so I frame the message today like this. It's, it's three directions to help you help others. And we can see three directions in our text. The first one is to beware of improper judgment. And we'll see that in verses 1 and 2. Judge not. And, and there's a, there's a warning there about the way that we judge, we will be judged. And then secondly, in verses three to five, and, and the first part of, of verse five, so th- verse three, verse four, and, and the, the first couple words there of verse five, I called that consider your own heart. Consider your own heart. And then the third direction to help you help others is heed the Lord's direction. And the Lord gives us two directions in verses 5 and then and then in verse 6. So one in verse 5, one in verse 6. And I think the intent of this entire section is to help us to be fruitful in helping one another out. We need to heed the warning against sinful judgment. We need to examine our own hearts and our own motives. And we need to obey the Lord's commands in verses 5 and 6. And only then will we be able to truly be a blessing in one another's lives and truly build up rewards in heaven by serving one another as the Lord has called us to. So let's look at then at this first direction to help us help others. Number one, beware of improper judgment. Beware of improper judgment. Look at verse 1 and verse 2. Jesus says, judge not that you be not judged. For with the judgment you pronounce, you will be judged. And with the measure you use, it will be measured to you. So Jesus says, judge not. And we need to take this command seriously. But at the same time, we also need to understand it rightly. What does Jesus mean by judge not? Well, the word judge can mean evaluate, decide, condemn, punish, find fault, criticize. It can mean to think or to consider something. It's a, it's a broad word. It it means it's, there's a, there's a broad range of meaning in that word and, and only the context can give you the intended meaning. And I think for most of us, it's, it's already clear that, that this couldn't possibly mean evaluate not or it, it doesn't mean discern not or or decide not, or think not, right? Jesus Jesus isn't saying, consider not. We're actually supposed to, and even if we just look at the context, we're supposed to see the log in our own eye, and we're to get it out, and then we're to help our brother with his speck. We're to beware of acting like hypocrites. We're to have a righteousness in this sermon beyond the, that of the scribes and the Pharisees. And all of that requires discernment and evaluation and thinking and a, a kind of judgment. In verse 6, as as we'll see in, in a little bit, we're to recognize dogs and pigs. And we're not to give them what is holier or to give them our pearls. Jesus calls some people, just just think about that for a minute. Jesus calls some people dogs and pigs. And he wants us to recognize people as dogs and pigs and to think of them as dogs and pigs. That, that's a, that's strong judgmental kind of language. Um, he's not talking about literal dogs and pigs, just kind of as a hint of when we get to verse six. So, so that, that's a form of judgment. And that, that we would call proper judgment. And so Jesus isn't saying, don't evaluate what kind of a person you're talking to. Don't think, don't consider, don't discern. He's, he's not saying that. We're to beware. Look at verse 15 of chapter 7. We're to beware of false prophets. There's going to be people who pretend to speak for God, who who pretend to prophesy, or maybe who even actually think that they do prophesy and that they do speak for God. And, and But they do not. They're, they're false prophets. And so Jesus says, beware of false prophets who come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly are ravenous wolves. You will recognize them by their fruits. Are grapes gathered from thorn bushes or figs from thistles? And so we're to examine fruits. We're to, even, even while these people are trying to deceive us and they're, they're actually wolves, but they're dressed in this, in this nice, nice sheep clothing. And so they, they they seem gentle and they're trying to deceive us. We're to evaluate them to such an extent that we can recognize them for who they are. And that requires, again, a certain kind of judgment. And so then we could ask, well, if it doesn't mean discern not or evaluate not or think not or consider not, well, what does this actually mean? What is Jesus trying to tell us here? And then we go to the, the other side of the spectrum of what, of the meaning of that word judge. And, and remember, there's a, a harsher side here of this spectrum where it means something like condemn, find fault, punish, to criticize, but especially here with the, with the sense of superiority and hypocrisy. And we see that in, especially in the illustration that, that comes in verses three and four. This judgment is a a type that has no self-awareness of one's own sins. That's that's kind of the intent of this. There's there's no awareness of one's own sins in the illustration. This person that we see in verse 3 and 4 is is bothered by a speck in their brother's eye, but they don't see the log in their own eye. This judgment says, let me get that speck out of your eye, Probably not, not so much as a, as a help that, to this person, but to boast about one's superiority. This judgment says, let me get that speck out of your eye, uh, and, because I am so great, but it doesn't recognize its own sinful hypocrisy. And so let me just kind of give you what, what some of the commentators say about, about this judgment. Uh, David Turner says, quote, what is forbidden is a rigid, Censorious judgmentalism that scrutinizes others without even a glance at oneself. End quote. Now, censorious is a, a new word, and all the commentators used it, so I, I I'm gonna I learned a new word, and you get to learn a, maybe a new word for you. It means to be severely critical of others. To be severely critical. So David Turner says, What is forbidden is a rigid Severely critical of others' judgmentalism that scrutinizes others without even a glance at oneself. Leon Morris said, quote, What is forbidden is censoriousness, the readiness to find fault. End quote. R.T. France said the emphasis is on criticism of other people's failings and the warning so that you may not be judged makes it clear that this sort of judging is not something to be welcomed. So it's a a negative criticism of other people's failings. And it's not something that that we would love or appreciate or want for ourselves. Martin Lloyd-Jones describes it this way, and it's quite a long quote, but really, really helpful. He says this, quote, Self is always at the back of it. And it is always a manifestation of self-righteousness a feeling of superiority, a feeling that we are all right while others are not. That then leads to censoriousness, a spirit that is always ready to express itself in a derogatory manner. And then accompanying that, there is the tendency to despise others, to regard them with contempt. I'm not only describing the Pharisees, I'm describing all who have the spirit of the Pharisee. And then a little bit later, he says, this spirit hopes for the worst, It gets a malicious, malign satisfaction in finding faults and blemishes. It is a spirit that is always expecting them and it's almost disappointed if it does not find them. It's always on the lookout for them and rather delights in them. End quote. And so this judging is a a fault finding, self exalting spirit that looks down on others. And it doesn't try to help others with their sin. It's really more concerned to point out their sin and condemn them for it. The reason Jesus gives not to judge in this way is because those who judge like that then will be judged. And this is a frightening prospect when you think about it. This is really frightening. When 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 we condemn others and criticize them, what we're doing is we're inviting God to judge us in like manner. When we make final judgments on others, we're saying that we know the standard of judgment. We're saying that we know what they should have done and not done. And so what we're doing is when we make these kind of judgments is we're setting ourselves up as the, an authority on the issue, on that person's life, on that situation. And so to judge someone, we declare ourselves as those who know the law. And as those who know the standard and we know the person involved and we know what they did or what they're doing and we know the proper sentence for the crime. And this judging goes beyond evaluating a person or a situation to severely criticizing their perceived faults. And when we go that far, what we're doing is we're actually usurping the role of God. And we're making ourselves to be God. Because God alone is the judge. And He will judge us according to the way that we judge others. And so if we are uh, exacting and we are harsh and we're highly critical, looking eagerly for other people's faults, God will hold us to a higher standard. If we act like moral experts, God will judge us as though we are moral experts. This then is similar to James chapter 3 and verse 1, where James says, not many of you should become teachers, my brothers, for you know that we who teach will be judged with greater strictness. And again, Matthew 7 and verse 2, for with the judgment you pronounce, you will be judged. And with the measure you use, it will be measured to you. And so again, we we still are called to evaluate and discern, but there's a difference between discerning an error and, and arrogantly and proudly condemning the one with that error. And especially in view here again is, is, is that the one who notices this, this little error in their brother and is entirely oblivious to their own much larger problem. And that then leads us into number two in our outline. We've seen the, the first direction to help us help others is to beware of, of improper judgment. And now the second, Direction to help us help others is, is number two, consider your own heart. Consider your own heart. We need to look at ourselves. Jesus asked two questions here to make us look at our hearts, and he, he wants us to examine our motives. He says, why do you see the speck that is in your brother's eye, but do not notice the log that is in your own eye? Verse four. Or how can you say to your brother, Let me take the speck out of your eye when there is the log in your own eye. Jesus asks, why? Why do you do this? Why do you, why do you see in this way? Why do you see the speck? Why do you see the, the speck in your brother's eye? And that word speck refers to a small piece of anything. It refers to one dictionary said something quite Insignificant. It can refer to anything quite insignificant—a a small thing, sometimes a, a piece of straw or or a, a chip, a, a little tiny bit of wood, or something that might get in one's eye. The word translated "log" there refers to a piece of heavy timber, and the, and that kind of a, a piece of heavy timber was used for the main support in a roof, or the the main support on a on an upper level floor, or a, a bar. You know that you can picture a big bar used to to close a door and hold it shut. Josephus used that word "log" to describe a a pole that was like the mast of a ship that was strengthened with iron on the one end, and it was used as a battering ram. That's you know, picture that kind of a size. You know, I I think of in our day like a, maybe something like the size of a telephone pole. A, we're talking about a serious pole. Can you imagine having that in your eye? Just try to think about that. This is meant to be a humorous illustration from the Lord. Imagine having a telephone pole in your eye and then noticing anything in somebody else's eye. Imagine uh, having a beam in your eye and, and not noticing that beam in your eye. Just think about that. It's ridiculous. Now, imagine imagine not noticing the beam in your eye but at the same time you see that speck in your brother's, "Oh, I see you got something in your eye." Like that is that is ridiculous. You know, if 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 that was happening, you would have some serious vision and awareness problems, wouldn't you? And if such a thing did happen, well why would it happen? Why would it happen? Well, verse four then goes further. Well, how can you say, how can you say this? Let me take the speck out. And, and it's a, it's actually a, a polite request in, in the original. This is a kind of a, a polite way to, to ask this thing. Um, would you, would you permit me to take the speck out of your eye? You can just kind of see the, the hypocrisy of this guy with a log in his eye. Would you permit me to get that speck there that, it seems you have something in your eye, dear sir. Um, You've got this beam in your eye and, and it's literally there and behold the log in your own eye. And so this is obviously not about specs and logs. It's about, about the way we judge others and how we try to help them. And, and it, it, as we see it in the context and, and as we kind of work through, it's, it's really about correcting others and how we do it. And I think it applies equally well to correcting a perceived sin or uh, correcting doctrinal error or anything in somebody's day-to-day life in their in their doctrine or practice or if there's some kind of a sin issue going on this applies to really all sorts of correcting of one another and notice this is something that's between brothers twice the word brother is used and so we're we're talking about confronting another professing christian and and even that word confronting we're we're talking to another professing christian about their about their sin and jesus is saying why do you see their little problem but you're blind to your own or how can you ask them if, if you can help them if you don't see your own state And the answer to both questions is in the first two words of verse 5, you hypocrite. Only a hypocrite would do such a thing. Only an actor would do such a thing. A, A religious phony. Somebody trying to lift themselves up by tearing others down. He pretends here to be a physician, but he hasn't applied his own medicine. And this would very much describe the attitude of the Pharisee in Luke 18. In Luke 18, starting in verse 8, Jesus told this parable to some who trusted in themselves that they were righteous and treated others with contempt. And he says this then, Jesus, two men went into the temple to pray, one a Pharisee and the other a tax collector. And the Pharisee, standing by himself, prayed thus, God, I thank you that I am not like other men extortioners unjust adulterers or even like this tax collector i fast twice a week i give tithes of all that i get and so this pharisee here goes and he he thanks god but it's all a, a show a pretentious show thinking that he is righteous and he treats others with contempt and that's kind of the idea here this pharisee is is blinded to his own self-righteousness and he thinks he's better than others He thought he was better than others, and he didn't even notice his arrogance and his judgmentalism. And notice that he didn't want to help the tax collector. He didn't have a heart of compassion towards the tax collector. He wanted to boast over him. He wanted to exalt himself at the other man's expense. And so, brothers and sisters, Jesus is warning us not to be like that. Our pursuit of God's kingdom and righteousness should not make us think that we are better than others. This kind of fits in with James chapter 3. And and actually, why don't we just go ahead and turn. I want you to see this one for yourself. James chapter 3, and starting at verse 13. Great, great, great uh, passage here. James says in verse 13, chapter 3, Who is wise and understanding among you? then peaceable gentle open to reason full of mercy and good fruits impartial and sincere and a harvest of righteousness is sown in peace by those who make peace this is what we are called to by James and really what the lord is also indicating here is this this kind of a, a meekness that wisdom has if we're wise and understanding we're going to be meek we're going to be gentle we're going to be peaceable we're not going to be boastful and, and proud. We're not going to be jealous of one another, but we want to sincerely help one another and, and to pursue righteousness. And there's this, this gentle and, and peaceable kind of correction that comes if somebody is wise and understanding according to James. You see what really qualifies us to help other people to fight their sin or to learn sound doctrine is a, a humble and a meek heart that sincerely wants to help others. And so the, prereq- the prerequisite for helping someone, what, what must come before helping someone is is to get the log out of our own eye. And the best person then to help someone fight sin is someone who by grace was helped by God to fight their own sin. You know, the best physician, if you could manage to get a a telephone pole out of your own eye, then you're now equipped and, and, and wise to help somebody else get something out of their eye. And so the best person then to correct doctrine is someone who has themselves submitted to the teaching of scripture and has learned those truths for themselves. And so before we can help others, we must first consider our own hearts. And maybe you've even experienced this. If you just think about this in your in your own life, we can be naturally, even at the best of times, we can be resistant to correction. But have you ever had a, a, a fault finding, judgmental person try to correct you, where where it seemed that their aim was was more to look good than to help you? You know, I don't know if I, I've ever had that, but I, I can imagine it's going to be much harder to take from that kind of person. It, it, it's we already resist. Correction at the best of times. And now you got this judgmental kind of proud person coming in. It, it's, it's hard to take it from a person like that. Now we should take correction for, from whoever, you know, even if the, the, the meanest, angriest person wants to correct us and, and they're right and there's some truth in it. We should apply that to our hearts and be humble and receive it and, and thank God for it. But if we really want to be helpful and useful in helping others, we need to be those who vigorously deal with our own hearts and who come across not as judges, but as surgeons, as helpers, as, as loving and caring people that want to help you to grow in holiness. And it's much easier for others to take it that from us that way, and, and it's much easier, uh, and, and we're going to be much more fruitful if we kind of approach it that way. Not this selfish ambition, trying to raise ourselves up, but instead this peaceable fruit of righteousness a harvest of righteousness sown in peace by those who make peace and so the second direction then as we think about how do we help others it was number two that was to consider your own heart and now number three heed the lord's direction in verses five and six so heed the lord's direction verse five says you hypocrite First take the log out of your own eye and then you will see clearly to take the speck out of your brother's eye. Do not give dogs what is holy and do not throw your pearls before pigs lest they trample them underfoot and turn to attack you. Now there's two directions here. First, the the first one is towards our brothers and sisters and the second is towards dogs and pigs. And we need to heed both of these directions. We need to obey both of these. So let's look look at the first one there, the the Lord's direction in verse 5. This is what we must do for our brother. The Lord leaves no room to to use what he said about not judging as an excuse for not acting. And that's really, really important. There's no room here to say, well, judge not, and so I'm not going to do anything. We can't say, Oh, I I won't talk to him or her about that sin because I, you know, I've got my own logs. That's not what the Lord is, is talking about here. There, there's no room in the body of Christ to simply turn a blind eye to sin. We cannot ignore another sin, nor we can, nor can we ignore our own sin. And so verse five says, first, take the log out of your own eye. First, we must deal with our own sin. First, we're to get the beam out of our eye. If we notice a log in our eye, we must get it out. That, that is, that's like so basic, but that's, it's, this is important and we need to heed this. If there's something in your eye, you gotta get it out. That is the Lord's command here. First, take the log out of your own eye. And so if you're struggling with a sin, it's like having a log in your eye. And you just don't ignore that. Just ever, I want you to have that in your mind whenever you're struggling with a sin. You, you just think, this is like having a giant log in my eye, and I'm not just gonna leave it in there. I gotta do something. I gotta take this thing out of there. The Lord even commands me to do that. And so you don't say, well, it's just a little log, right? It, 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 I'll, I'll just leave it. Or, or you don't say, it'll probably just wash out on its own. You know, I, I've had, I've had much worse logs than this log. I'm just gonna keep this one in. We don't, we don't say that. And so when we have sin in our lives, the Lord's command is first, take it out. And this is a command. And to ignore something like this or to ignore some sin in our life is disobedience. And it's just its just that simple. It's just its disobedience. And so just a couple of thoughts here on this. First of all, this applies when we notice sin or when we notice even false doctrine in our lives. We never ignore it. We, we put it to death. We mortify it. And if you don't know how or, or you don't know what to do, then the, the key there is to go and, and seek help for that sin, to overcome that sin. Now, sometimes we don't see our sin. Sometimes we simply don't recognize it in ourselves, what others clearly see. And and so we should we should pray about that, and we should ask the Lord to reveal sin so that we can forsake it, and mature in Christ, and so that's that's kind of the first thing. Is we we this applies when we notice sin in our lives, but there's times when we don't notice it, and because of that, we should be we should be asking even other people to help us notice things in our lives. Secondly, kind of a, a thought on this is this is talking about a log, not a speck, and this is important as well. This is talking about a log, not a speck. We we do not need to be perfect to help others or to talk to others about their sin and their issues. A a log would be some obvious visible sin. And specifically here, a log means a judgmental, self-righteous attitude. And so if you have a judgmental, self-righteous attitude, then you need to first deal with that and just leave everybody else alone. But once you've dealt with that, then you are now a tool to help your brothers and sisters in Christ grow. And so if you don't have a log in your eye, the next part of the command is for you, and, and it's for me as well. Once you have dealt with the log, you can, you can see clearly, Jesus says, to help others. And so again, first take the log out of your own eye, then you will see clearly to take the speck out of your brother's eye. And so we are still to help our brothers and sisters, and this is part of how we serve the Lord. Now this doesn't mean that we, we nitpick one another about trivial things. I don't, I don't want a bunch of nitpicking happening next week as we, about trivial things. The, a speck in the eye is small, but it does hurt, right? You've had something in your eye before, and sometimes even the smallest little eyelash, it's its a painful thing. It's a noticeable thing. And it doesn't take much to feel it when when something small like that is in our eye. And if we think about the, the context here, in the ancient world, in the ancient Near East, without these modern mirrors, it would have been really hard to get a speck out by yourself, and the same is true for us in, in relation to sin. We, ne- we often need others to notice it. We need help from others to fight against it. Now, I've talked about conflict resolution and, and dealing with sin a little bit before, so I'm not, I'm not going to belabor this. I'm not going to say much, but a, a few things here. Um, first of all, we're, we're talking about legitimate sin or doctrinal issues. We're talking about about ones that, that's not good simply to overlook or, or to allow someone to grow out of. There's times where it's just right to simply overlook a sin in somebody else or it's, it's just something, well, I'm just going to pray for them and, and, and ask the Lord to grow them in that area and we don't even need to talk about it or confront it. And so how do we know when to do this? Uh, I've got a couple of questions you could ask yourself. Ask. If you notice something in somebody else, if you notice a doctrinal or a, a maybe a, a possible sin in somebody else's life, ask yourself this, well, is this thing causing harm to the person or to his or her reputation? Is it causing harm to the person or to his or her reputation? Another question, is it harming the person's testimony or is it harming the person's relationship with God? Or is it harming God's testimony or the church's testimony? Is this thing harming other people? And if the answer to those is yes or to any one of those is yes, then you should humbly go to that person. You first get the log out of your own eye and then go and have a conversation. Let's go to Matthew 18 and look at verse, Just we'll just look at verse 15, but this speaks about this as well a little bit later in Matthew Matthew 18 and verse 15. Again, this is a a command from the Lord here as well. He says, if your brother sins against you, go and tell him his fault between you and him alone. If he listens to you, you have gained your brother. And that's literally, you have won your brother. You have gained a, a treasure if you have done this. And so if your brother sins, there's this responsibility that lies on you to go and tell him his fault between you and him alone. Galatians 6.1 also speaks about this. It says, it says there, Paul says, brothers, if anyone is caught in any transgression, you who are spiritual should restore him in a spirit of gentleness. Keep watch on yourself lest you too be tempted And then he says in verse 2, bear one another's burdens and so fulfill the law of Christ. Now something that, that we need to remember is that it's not loving to leave someone in a sin. And I think that's really important. It's never loving to leave someone in a sin. Love helps others to put away sin and to be more like Christ. And so spiritual people are seeking to Restore other people, and the goal is is never to shame them. It's never to boast over them. It's never to exalt themselves. Spiritual people, or 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 people who are spiritual, are, are as as we saw in Galatians, there. People who are spiritual are, are those who have fought and are fighting their own sin, and they're also seeking to help others to do the same. And so there's this goal of I see my brother in a sin. I'm gonna I'm gonna help him out. I see this doctrinal error. I'm going I'm to see if I can't come alongside and, and, and talk to him about that thing. And, and so we, we love one another in this way. And that's the first direction then that we need to heed. Now let's look at the second one in verse 6 of Matthew 7. He says again, do not give dogs what is holy and do not throw your pearls before pigs lest they trample them underfoot and turn to attack you. Now, this is kind of like a a bit of a parabolic saying, like much of what we've looked at already this morning has been. There's four things that we need to figure out here. What are or who are the dogs? Who are the pigs? What is holy? And what are your pearls? Don't give dogs what is holy. Don't throw pearls before swine and dogs and pigs are parallel and 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 holy and pearls are parallel and so maybe we could say there's two things we need to figure out what are these dogs and swine refer to what is the holy and the pearls now as we think about dogs and and swine or dogs and pigs depending on your translation those were unclean animals in the ancient near east and, and in in the jewish mindset they were unclean dirty filthy things. These aren't, these aren't pets. These aren't like our, our little nice dogs that are, that live in our house. These are kind of like vicious beasts that eat garbage and, and attack children. Um, and as far as pigs go, those weren't good for eating for the Jewish person. Those, those aren't good sausage. That's, that's disgusting. So the, you know, thankfully we're freed from that now and we can enjoy the pigs. But that's kind of the mindset when we think about dogs and pigs. Unclean, dirty things. And the reason Jesus gives is in verse six is lest they trample them underfoot and turn to attack you. Now, if you tried to feed pigs some pearls, they would, they would crunch on those things and they would be insulted that you gave them something so unedible and that hurts their teeth and, and they would not like that and they would, they would trample those things underfoot so that they could get the real Good food. And so they would have no value. They would not value those pearls at all. And dogs would be the more likely to attack you. If you were, if you were, if you fed the wild dogs, they, there was warnings in that time. If you feed the wild dogs, they will most likely attack you. Or I think there's even a saying in, in our, our modern world, um, that bites the hands that feeds you or something like that. I'm not exactly sure. I didn't write that down, but um, anyway, dogs would be the most likely to attack you, but but pigs might attack you as well. And so there's probably a bit of a, a, a structure here, dogs, pigs, you know, and then uh, a chiastic structure. You don't have to know about that. So Jesus, what we do know is that Jesus isn't talking about feeding animals um, any more than he was talking about literal logs in somebody's eye. And I think what Jesus is talking about here then is, is really much the same thing in verse 6 as it, as it was in verse 5. He's talking about helping people with, with their sin. He's talking, I think, about preaching the gospel, proclaiming the message of the kingdom, calling people to repentance and faith. And we need to be discerning then about our ministry. In verse 5, we were dealing with a, a brother or a sister but now here we're, we're we're there's this this seeking to help somebody that is now called a dog or a pig. Well, who is a dog? Well, I think a dog refers to an unbeliever who is hostile to the gospel, somebody who's angry, somebody who doesn't want to hear the good news about our holy God and about our pearl of great price, the message of the kingdom. And I think this the same person is a is also called a, a dog and a swine or a pig. In Philippians chapter three and verse two, Paul used this word. He says, look out for the dogs. He's not talking about literal dogs there. Look out for the dogs. Look out for the evildoers. Look out for those who mutilate the flesh. And so he's talking about dogs as, as people who are hostile to the gospel, who are evildoers and, and even further, those who mutilate the flesh, the, the Judaizers who are, are drawing you away into a false gospel. Look out for those people. Watch out. Be on the alert. Revelation 22, 15 says, Outside, outside of the, the kingdom of heaven, outside are the dogs. And we say, well, what in the world is that? Well, let's kind of put them with the rest of the people. Outside are the dogs and sorcerers. And the sexually immoral and murderers and idolaters and everyone who loves and practices falsehood. And so we're to judge then asking something like this, who am I talking to? Am I talking to a brother with a speck? Or am I even talking maybe to a brother with a log in his eye? Or, or am I talking to a dog? Am I talking to someone who rejects the gospel? Someone who is hostile someone who's likely to turn and tear me to pieces as the the new american standard translates that turn and attack you at the end of verse six in the in the esv someone who's going to tear me to pieces now as we do this i I think you'll 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 kind of sense already that we need to be very very careful about this because if i judge too harshly on this thing i will i will never proclaim the gospel to anyone Right, we, th- th- this is not saying, "Oh, if that person looks kind of scary, don't proclaim the gospel to them, or don't don't prejudge people and decide oh, that's an angry-looking person, or that that person's got a grumpy-looking face. I'm not going to share the gospel. We we can't do that." And I would say, if you have to err on this thing, we would want to err on the side of being attacked, being hurt, because people need to hear the gospel and they need that message proclaimed to them. And so it's better to be attacked than to not share the gospel and not be fruitful in that way. But still, we need to recognize there's a time to withdraw. There's a time to, as Jesus says, flee to another city. There's a, a time even for the church maybe to go underground and to hide in, in fields and barns and whatever. There's, there's, a, there's a time to recognize that, that this person that I'm speaking to does not want these pearls... And these pearls are making them angry and they're going to turn and attack me. And so if we must err, we must err on the side of hope. Because just think about it, you were once a dog and a pig, right? You were once hostile to God and alienated from Him. And so God saved you. God God turns dogs and pigs into new creatures in Christ every day of the week. And so we should, when we proclaim the gospel, be hopeful about that thing. But at the same time, we need to be wise in, 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 our, in our ministry to others. Proverbs 9 and verse 8 very similarly says, Do not reprove a scoffer, or he will hate you. Reprove a wise man, and he will love you. And I think that's a great verse for this section. Do not reprove a scoffer, or he will hate you. Reprove a wise man, and he will love you. Proverbs 9 and verse 8 Matthew 10, 14, Jesus says, if anyone will not receive you or listen to your words, shake off the dust from your feet when you leave that house or town. And in Acts 18, Paul did that very thing. He, when uh, This is Acts 18, verse 5. I'll read to verse 7. When Silas and Timothy arrived from Macedonia, Paul was occupied with the word, testifying to the Jews that the Christ was Jesus. And when they opposed and reviled him, he shook out his garments and said to them, Your blood be on your own heads. I am innocent. From now on, I will go to the Gentiles. And he left there, and he went to the house of a man named Titius Justus, a worshiper of God. His house was next door to the synagogue. And so Paul left the, gen- left the Jews. He shook out his garments, just like Jesus said, Shake off the dust from your feet when you leave that town. And he went right next door, And he preached the gospel to the Gentiles. And so that's kind of the idea here. If they will not receive you or listen to your words, shake off the dust from your feet. And I think when you do, or when you have to do something like that in in an evangelistic setting, I think it's wise to leave them with a warning. Warn them about the danger of rejecting the gospel and shake off the dust from your feet and and go somewhere else. Matthew 10.21 says, Brother will deliver brother over to death. The father, his child, the children will rise against parents and have them put to death. You will be hated by all for my name's sake, but the one who endures to the end will be saved. And then verse 23, Jesus says, when they persecute you in one town, flee to the next. And again, Titus 3 and verse 10, very similar, probably more in the context of church discipline though, Titus 3.10 says, As for a person who stirs up division, after warning him once and then twice, have nothing more to do with him. Knowing that such a person is warped and sinful, he is self-condemned. So to summarize our, our passage then for this morning, do not be judgmental, but do judge, discern your own heart, Discern your your brother's speck. Discern who you're talking to, but but don't be proud. Don't be arrogant. Don't be self righteous. We're to humbly seek to help others. Don't make yourself their judge. Make yourself their their helper and their friend. Come alongside them. Be gracious to them. Be 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 gentle and and humble. Like it says in. In Second uh, 2 Timothy 2.24, the servant of the Lord must not quarrel, but be, be gentle and humble, able to teach, gently correcting those who are in opposition, if perhaps God will grant them repentance, that they might believe the truth. That's kind of a, a paraphrased quote from my memory, but that's very similar. Second 2 Timothy 2.24, great verse. And so we're to beware of improper judgment, verses 1 and 2. We're to consider your own heart as you do this thing and then heed the Lord's direction. We're to to first get the log out of our own eye and then we are to help our brother by taking the speck out of his eye. But we're also to beware not to give what is holy to the dogs. Don't throw your pearls before the pigs lest they trample them underfoot and turn to attack you. Well, let's pray. Father, we, we thank you for this passage and we thank you that we are your instruments, that, that, that you use us in one another's lives as we pursue this kingdom righteousness, not only for ourselves but really with the whole community in mind. And we pray that we would more have that perspective, that we would be one another's best friends, that we would love one another enough to help us to love you more. And so we ask that you would, you would grant us that spirit, that we would not be judgmental people, that we would not be arrogant or proud, that we wouldn't be hypocrites who, who aren't dealing with our own sin, but that we would be those kind of people that deal with our own sin and then help other people with a a gracious, loving heart. We ask that you would use us to share your gospel, that you would save many dogs and pigs in our midst. That you would give us boldness to proclaim the gospel, but also that wisdom to know when it's time to, to withdraw and warn and shake the dust off, off of our clothes and go to other people. And so, Father, we, just, we ask you for that, that wisdom and grace, and we pray that you'd help us to apply this in Jesus' name. Amen.